What happens when a Catholic deacon matches wits with a Catholic radio show host? You get a marriage made in heaven. They may not always agree, but they're always faithful. It's the Akins with their view from the pew on Modern Day Radio. And welcome to this episode of View from the Pew. I am your host, Brenda Aiken, and joining me today is the man who'd rather change the batteries in a flashlight than a vehicle, the good deacon, Scott Aiken. Well, that was made fully manifest to me today as I changed a battery in a car for the first time where I had to take the front wheel off in order to get to it. I've done batteries in my 55 years. My dad and I, he taught me how to work on cars and tinker with cars, and so I've changed batteries before, but... Oh my gosh, my, our daughter's car that we bought has the battery inside the wheel well of the front tire. So I had to take the front tire off and I had to take the wheel well off. There was the battery and that all took me total by the time I got done, probably about an hour and a half. (laughs) So I just would presume as a woman and with my, we'll say limited knowledge of how vehicles work, I wouldn't think anything about taking in a car to have the battery changed, but somehow you found that that falls within your realm of manly fatherly types of duties. Exactly. <laughs> and it falls within my realm of being cheap. Cause if I can do it myself, frugal, frugal, I know that's what I say frugal, but so many times I'm corrected by my family. You being one of them. <laughs> Only when you go to the secondhand shops. So, so I went online and I looked for a battery and I actually looked up what would it cost to install and it was twice as much as the cost of the battery. So I said, that's enough. I will do twice as much work as I would otherwise do to save twice as much money. So <laughs> I did. I suppose the benefit that we look at it this way, that when we save money in our ability to do things, and there's lots of things that we can do. I know how to sew. Mm-hmm. So a lot of things that I would have to tailor or hem, or even when the kids were in Catholic school, I could take in their school uniforms so that way they fit better. But it's not to save money so we can go have fun in other ways, but a lot of times it saves money and our ability to stay out of debt allows us to be more generous to those who need. I, I had a, a boss that I used to work for and he, he would talk about incremental radicalism. And that's the way I look at my savings, the way I save. I do little increments of saving here and there. I'll be cheap for myself, but over time, I think it does. I think it saves us money when I do things that are a little bit more labor intensive for me. But there will come a time I know, and I'm feeling it at 55, that I'm not going to be able to do it. So when I got up off the ground today after Putting the tire back on the car mm-hmm. after getting the battery in there, I thought, oh, I don't move as comfortably as I used to. <laughs> so. No, none of us our age seem to do that. But also in our ability to save and how that adds up over, you know, weeks and months and, and over a whole year, it does also allow us to be more generous at church. And we try to every year as we have earned more money in our jobs, as we've been able to stay out of debt it definitely allows us to be able to give. And it's not just the Sunday envelopes that we're able to give to. It's then we're able to also now include Peter's Pence or homeless programs or different things that are in addition to what we give at church. There is a value to not pinching pennies, but to be frugal with spending 
that allows us to be generous, especially when there is need that God presents for us. I think for our kids too, it's valuable really so they can see us, how we spend our money and how we give generously with with what we've also received encourages them to look at their own lives and decide, yeah, I've earned this money and I shouldn't be so self-centered in how I spend it. And it's also in them being able to see how they use their money well leads them to understanding what God's calling them to be, to be generous with those who have need, to develop in their own sense, maybe a little sacrifice and a little self-denial to make them better people, maybe to even make them a saint. And I think, you know, just even though it's the fact that I changed my daughter's battery in the car, I was doing it out of service for her. And in my frustration, I have to bring myself back to remember, why was I doing this? For serving who God has placed in my life, for serving with the gifts that I have, and for being prudent in the use of those gifts and teaching my children that. Because there is a direct correlation to saints' use of the gifts that they've been given in a way that feeds the community in which they've been placed. And for us, we're striving to be saints as moms and dads of our children who are hoping and praying that our children become saints. So it's this mutualism that I think really represents what we are are the microcosm of the church. I think many people probably look at their own lives and think, no, I can never be like a saint. But I think there are many saints that we know about who also thought the same thing. So we're always called to conversion every day to become the person God is asking us to be. And that is a saint. That is what we all hope to be. Well, here in the United States, it might be a little difficult to appreciate who they are because we have so few American saints. However, in his new book, Michael O'Neill says, Well, there's many more coming down the line. They might be saints on the path to sainthood in America. That is the title of his new book. I'm going to have a chance to talk to him a little bit more about who these people are. And then our second half, maybe we can look a bit more into how families can work to bring about that reality of sainthood in America. So we got a great show ahead for you on this week's View from the Pew. Stay with us. Seventh-day Adventists use Ecclesiastes 9.10 to argue that souls in heaven aren't cognitively aware of our prayers because the inspired author says that souls don't have any knowledge in the afterlife. But this objection fails because the inspired author was operating with a limited and vague view of the afterlife without New Testament revelation. When we come to the New Testament, it's a whole new ballgame. Consider Revelation 5.8, where 24 presbyters, human souls, surround Jesus and offer him the prayers of Christians on earth in the form of incense. How could they do this if they weren't cognitively aware of all those prayers? So just because an Old Testament passage speaks of the afterlife in a way that's not compatible with the intercession of the saints, it doesn't follow that the Catholic doctrine is proven unbiblical. 
I'm Corlo Brusord with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. This is Father Vidal Martinez. I am rector at the National Sanctuary of Our Sorrowful Mother, commonly known as the Grotto. Join me in a prayer of intercession to St. Peregrine. O God, our Father, kind and merciful, you sent your Son among us as healer of body and spirit to cure humanity, wounded by sin and death, so that all might have life in abundance. Look compassionately now upon all our brothers and sisters who are sick or suffering and trust in your healing love. Restore them to health through the intercession of St. Peregrine, whom you also delivered from illness and pain. Grant that Jesus, our crucified Savior, intervene for them as he did for St. Peregrine. We ask this of you who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. Why do you listen to Mater Day Radio? Is it for the prayers, Catholic news and education, or to be inspired? Whatever your reason for listening, we are grateful for your support. And as we surpass 30 years of broadcasting a gospel message, we hope you will consider leaving a legacy for Mater Day Radio in your estate planning. This can be as easy as including Catholic Radio as a beneficiary in your will. For more information on estate planning options, please visit us online at materdayradio.com. Family life can be hectic, but God can be found right in the middle of it. So take a moment for this week's View from the Pew. We are all called to be saints, and the church will have a vast library of known saints whose lives we try to emulate. But, you know, their life experience from their home countries may not be very similar or very relatable to us here in the United States. But did you know There are many holy people who are on the path to sainthood that serve the needs of America. In his new book, They Might Be Saints, Michael O'Neill tells their stories. Michael is the miracle hunter, and he's joining me today. Good morning, Michael. Thanks so much for joining the Morning Blend. Great. It's great to be with you. Well, first, let's start with the basics. Michael, how does the Pope decide who becomes a saint, and what's this process? Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and I actually dedicated a chapter in the book because that question comes up so often. I think the the best chapters in the books are those that tell the stories of those saints, but people want to know how does it really happen. And, you know, some people have the idea that somebody whispers in the ear of the Pope or he reads something somewhere and he says, that one looks good, and he just decides to canonize them. But the reality is is that the process takes uh, years, decades, centuries sometimes mm-hmm. in order for them to do all the research on the life of the potential saints and to look for those miracles. So it's uh, it's a very long process uh, that uh, the church uh, goes through just to make sure, to make sure they got it just right when they uh, name someone a saint. Well, Michael, here on The Morning Blend, recently we were just talking about the life of Dorothy Day and her cause has been open. I think somewhere around 50,000 pages of documents have just been initially submitted. But along with all of the documentation, well, the process is going to include miracles. Why do miracles have to be part of this? It's a great question because uh, when we think about uh, the life, the life of heroic virtue, the life of holiness that the church validates—that's uh, the the first step. So, the idea is is that in these steps, servant of God, which is when the cause starts, uh, venerable when they find the person to be have lived a, a life of virtue, 
So in, in that in that moment, the church is saying, in our best guess, we think that that person is in heaven. But they say, let's double check to be sure. So they say, let's uh, seek out that person in, for their intercession to prove that they're in heaven with God so that a miracle might uh, might establish them in heaven. And a second miracle, after they're declared blessed, sort of cements them as a saint. So two miracles are needed to go from blessed to saint, but the concept is is that they're in heaven, interceding for us here on earth, and uh, therefore, by definition, they're then uh, they're then saints. And is the process to prove something was in fact a miracle? How how lengthy of a process is that to decide? Yes, this uh, this thing happened, and it was miraculously healed or changed. Yeah, so I, I included a chapter dedicated to miracles in my book, and people call me the miracle hunter, and all my work is dedicated to the search for miracles. And I guess perhaps that's why I'm interested in saints in the first place, because of this requirement for miracles. But um, it's an old process that dates back to Prospero Lambertini. He was an Italian cardinal who uh, later became Pope Benedict XIV, the Pope. And uh, he set out all the rules, and that rule book is still used uh, even today. He was born in the 1600s, but the Church still uses this criteria where they say it must be a serious condition not liable to go on its own. It must be an instantaneous, complete, and lasting cure, and there can be no medical treatment that relates to the cure. And perhaps even more difficult is that, well, when I'm in trouble or I need some help some help from heaven, I pray to all my friends, the saints, hoping that someone up there picks up the phone. But when it turns out that a, uh, some, a miracle is being proposed, it's being worked through the intercession of a saint, you can't have prayed to John Paul II and Mother Teresa and St. Therese and St. Francis and all your favorite saints, you have to pick just that one potential saint so that the Church exactly knows where the intercession came from. And so uh, it's extra complicated because, you know, uh, people often pray to many saints, but you can pray to one, and all your friends and the people around you have to pray to that same saint as well. So uh, when they find any miracle at all, it's a little bit of a miracle in my book. I would agree with that. In his new book, he explains more of this. Michael O'Neill is joining me today. His new book, They Might Be Saints, On the Path to Sainthood in America. Well, let's talk about what we have here in America. First, Michael, tell me a little bit. Do you know how many saints uh, are from America or have been already named as uh, their, their sainthood or their ministries being done here in the United States? Yeah, there's a, a, a number of them. And in the first chapter uh, the, about uh, the lives of the saints and future saints is dedicated to saints in, in my book. And so there's a handful of them only from America, but we're going to see that number uh, increase quite a bit because uh, we have 24 venerables and blessed. So people who are on step two and three of the canonization process. And people ask the question, well, how did you decide who made it into your book? Well, I put everybody in the book, mm. everybody who's been born in the United States, or uh, they live the majority of their life in the United States. So those are the people who had a cha- who have a chapter dedicated to them in this book. So I would say that, you know, in the, the years and decades to come, we're going to have a, a bunch of new saints from the United States. Michael, even beyond that, your book also there in the end has a very quick index of those who could be future saints. And I saw this and I was amazed. There are dozens that could possibly be our future saints, too. How did you find all of these different people? Well, believe it or not, over the the course of of the the last years, I've been cataloging all these, and you can find them on my 
website as well. I've got the two websites, miraclehunter.com and they might be saints.com. And uh, I've just been been studying this and tracking these. Uh, they're, they're of great interest to me, and I've just been uh, keeping track of them. So I put them in the book so people could have some people uh, to keep their eye on in the future. So uh, so it's been it's been a fun fun process for me, sort of uh, staying keeping tabs on these. And this dovetails with my television series. They might be saints on EWTN, which airs on Fridays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So uh, searching for those scripts and coming up with those uh, stories to tell on television. They go right along with the, the book as well. So those two things go right together. Well, Michael, I don't want to pin you down on anything exact, but do you know of a few of our um, our close to saints that you think maybe might be the next American saints in very short time? It's a great question. And I have a couple of favorite picks. It's almost like uh, Las Vegas odds here yeah. determining who will be the next saint. But you'd have to pick a venerable because nobody ever hops from uh, just, uh, I mean, you have to play the pick a, a blessed because nobody hops from venerable to a saint. So, of the blessed who are there, um, my my pick would probably be either uh, Michael McGivney, the founder of the Knights of Columbus, mm-hmm. because he has so many people uh, in the Knights of Columbus worldwide actually seeking out his intercession. So he's got many people who think of him and pray just to him. So he's got uh, sort of a, a built-in uh, built-in system in order to get him to be a saint. And then there's another one, uh, Blessed Francis Xavier Silos, who uh, uh, lived his life all over the United States, but uh, died in New Orleans, and that's where his cause is. He's a blessed, and they have a pretty solid miracle, in my opinion, uh, that's being considered by Rome. So I think that they may have a leg up in some ways of, uh, of a miracle that'll be, you know, uh, perhaps recognized in the, in the years to come here. So those would be my top two picks if I were placing a bet in Las Vegas. Well, I think that a sure thing, a sure bet to know is that there will definitely be more saints that are coming from and serving to the Americas, and they are all going to be on the list from Michael O'Neill. Michael, it's a great new book. It's a great resource. How are people going to be able to get a copy for themselves? So people can go to my website, theymightbesaints.com, or just go to EWTN Religious Catalog, and that website is EWTNRC.com. Sounds great. Well, again, it's a wonderful new book, a great resource about saints in America. And uh, Michael, we sure appreciate all of your time today. Thank you. And again, that is Michael O'Neill. The name of the book, They Might Be Saints on the Path to Sainthood in America. I will be sure to add a link to where you can get straight to those places where Michael had just mentioned where you can get a copy for yourself. You're going to find those links on the podcast to this interview on the Hail Mary Media app or on our webpage, materdayradio.com. Ain't that America for you and me? Ain't that America something to see, baby? Ain't that America? Home of the free, yeah. Little pink houses for you and me. I got to tell you, Scott, I've read the lives of the saints. And just last week, we were talking about walking with a saint this year, spending the year with a new saint, learning something about them. I look at their lives, look at their virtue, look at what they've been able to do. And I compare to my own life and I think, wow, could I even possibly make it to heaven if my life is compared to theirs? But of course, this is the high bar. And I was just recently revisiting those the great series Catholicism and 
Father Barron at the time, now Bishop Barron, he was, he was focusing on Peter's denial of Christ during the Passion. And what he highlighted was that in Christ's coming back and Peter seeing him, Peter was given an opportunity to repent three times for the three denials that he did. And in doing so, it converted him. And, I, and it gives me great hope that in our lives when we think, I'm not going to be a saint, we have to not sell ourselves short because we are no longer ourselves, but we are God's through our baptism. And therefore, we have the potential to be that very thing that gives us inspiration as Christians on this earth. That's why I believe God allows people to manifest that sainthood uh, in in our lives. When we were at the canonization of Kateri Tikawitha and the, the number of other saints that were canonized that day, it was an inspiration for the living here on earth to be inspired that we should be reaching for this and even in our humility, not sell ourselves short, but we have all the potential because we are created by God and we have been brought home through our baptism as adopted sons and daughters. We can be the prodigal son come back and receive the gifts of the father anytime. And a saint, I think so oftentimes in their lives reflects that. Scott, there are those times and we have had the benefit for children. Our lives have been blessed by them. And there is that moment when they are born and you look into their faces and you try to decide, do they look like my mom? Do they look like your dad? And, and at that moment, you have their entire future with every hope in the world at that moment. Every possibility that who they want to be and become is there. But then as we look at our own lives, we find that we're limited. But think about how God sees us and how he sees us as so much more than what we could even imagine. If we could see ourselves through the lens of God and see our brothers and sisters, the people on the streets, people who pass by us in vehicles, people who cross in front of us in the street, if we looked at all of them with the lens that any of them, all of us have that same potential and even greater. Well, wouldn't that cause us to change literally the whole world in the way it is? And when we go to confession, we should be able to confess that reality with confidence to say, I know I have sold short the people that I've run into in my day-to-day life in how I've acted to them or how I discounted their value in my life, maybe at the store, like you said, or maybe right at driving um, into work. And we have to repent of that because we have to always strive to and represent to our children the need to see the value in another, even when that is so hard to do. And a saint does that. And I think of of St. Therese Lousseau as, as so often, I mean, that's she's highlighted in that simple uh, humility and her prudent use of her time for the value of serving the other. And oftentimes the other is a person who really uh, is repulsed by her and she nonetheless serves them. 
they're they're repulsed by her because they can't figure her out. There's something about her that, and and she even speaks about that in her diary. So I think that that's the the value is when we can see the value in another in spite of the accident of seeing their brokenness, because that's who Christ sees. He sees them in their brokenness, and the healings that occur in the Bible are not the healing of the physical. It's the invitation into the absolute adoption that I'm no longer separated from God through Christ in the physical healing I've had. I've now been spiritually healed to know I'm a child of God. And I think a saint knows they're a child of God, which is what they live out in their lives. And they live it just as oftentimes discombobulated as our lives can be. Mm -hmm. And they don't sell themselves short. They are humble before God to, to trust that God has a purpose for me. And I need to let it happen. And sometimes that's what we just have to say. Let me do what you want me to do and let me get out of the way. You think about Peter in during the passion denying Christ. And there are those of us that are walking in the world today that are shutting Christ out in the same way, thinking if God knew me, you know, the things that I have done, there's no way that he would forgive me. There's no way that he, there's forgiveness for me. But that's exactly where God wants to be in in the darkest parts of our lives, those parts that we don't want to think about in our own lives that say, I'm just going to close the door on that. And then I'm just going to act like it's not there. But those things still continue to come into our lives and affect us. Open that door. Let God's light into those dark areas of your life. Find forgiveness. Right. Boy, and that is our path to sainthood. Scott, before we go, will you end us in prayer? Yes. Lord, help us to hear your words to Peter. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Help us to love as Peter loved you, to go out and feed the community around us, the, the community that you've placed us in, in hope that we find that path to sainthood that you have called us to, and we find it through humility and trust in you. Help us to have faith this week in the work and the life that you have given us this week. We ask all this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. And that is going to wrap it up for us this week. Please tune in next week as we share with you more stories about our faith, our family, and our view from the pew. God bless you all. You've been listening to View from the Pew, a weekly look at faith and family life from a Catholic perspective with Deacon Scott and Brenda Aiken. For more information on the Aikens and to listen to an archive of their previous shows, visit them online at moderndayradio.com slash pew. View from the Pew is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon.